have been embarking over the last few weeks on a journey that has us looking at and talking about the things that are ordinarily very difficult to talk about in church. Um, And we've begun and will continue to begin in a lot of ways in the very beginning because it's a very good place to start. Um, And we're going to begin in creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is the foundational reality of reality, right? That God created the heavens and the earth. He created this beautiful world for mankind to live in. And we live there in perfect harmony with one another and in perfect harmony with God with one command. Don't eat from this tree, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you do, you will die. Picking up in Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together, made themselves loincloths. So the serpent stepped in to this perfect, flawless creation, and offered Eve this distorted version of the truth. And having distorted and and disordered her understanding of the world, she did what she thought was right based on that understanding. So because her picture of how the world worked and how she fit into it was wrong, she made the wrong choice. And so in one sense, the fall is a choice to follow the way that seems best to me rather than follow the way that God has laid out. And that is caused here, and I think in our lives as well, by a distorted, mistaken view of the world. Specifically, specifically the idea that I can know, as well as God does, what the right thing to do is. And that distorted, mistaken view of the world then turns around and causes a further distorted, mistaken view of the world. You have this negative feedback loop, right? Where things just become more and more distorted and disordered disordered and mistaken. And our understanding of the world and our understanding of our place in it becomes more and more broken with each passing wrong decision. But the root... The root of all of that is that misunderstanding of who we are and who God is. Because our hearts are bent to think of ourselves as the ultimate source, the ultimate authority, the ultimate purpose in the world. We think we're in charge and we think we know best. That's what happened with Eve, right? God told her not to eat. The creator of the universe said, don't do this. 
And Eve said, I think I'm going to do this. And I'm sure that God's words reverberated. Don't do this. No, no, I, I'm going to do this. I, I mean, that, that's to put it kind of flippantly, but that's what's going on there. That's the root of all of this, is this idea that we can know best. I mean, what does God know anyway? He only created everything. He only made every atom that makes up my body and my brain and the world around me. What does he know about anything? I mean, it sounds foolish when you put it that way, but that's essentially what we do. When we sin, we're rejecting God's authority. We are rejecting his knowledge. We are rejecting his way and substituting our way in its place. And so this incorrect understanding of how the world works causes us to think incorrectly. And if we think incorrectly, we will act incorrectly. So what we see is that all of creation, all of creation, it says later on in Genesis 3, is broken. The ground itself is broken because of these disordered loves, these disordered ways of thinking. So all of the chaos, all of the disorder, all of the craziness that we see in the world is due at its root in some way, shape, or form to distorted human thinking. All of human suffering, all pain, all death, is due to the fact that someone, somewhere, was not thinking straight. This should cause us, friends, to weep, and to wail, and to mourn. Any time that we encounter the brokenness of this world, the fallenness of this world, it should break our hearts. And the single most influential source of disordered thinking and the resulting pain, suffering, and chaos and struggle in my own life, and the only one over which I have any control at all, is me. It's me. My thinking is flawed. My way of looking at the world is twisted and distorted by sin and rebellion against God. It says in Jeremiah 17 that the heart is deceitful above all things. The heart, the very core of my being, is lying to me. And it is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And in Proverbs 16, there is a way that seems right to a man. And its way ends in personal fulfillment and satisfaction. Is that how that goes? There is a way that seems right to a man. And its way ends in power and glory and praise from all mankind. There is a way that seems right to a man, and its way ends in death. My very best thinking, that me doing my very best, no matter how good it is, ends in death. As a fallen, flawed human being living in a fallen, flawed world, if I try my hardest to figure things out, my very best thinking ends with me dead. This is true of me. This is true of you. And this is true of every other person in this world. But there are some people, but there are some people whose thinking, 
whose way of looking at the world is so distorted by the brokenness of the world that they cause themselves to suffer. And their ability to function in our society is impaired in some way. Their understanding of the world and how it works and their place in it is so inaccurate that they can't function at the level that they need to be able to. And we are all impacted by the fall in various ways and to various degrees, right? Physically, we are all at different stages on the aging spectrum, right? Some of us, not me, are, you know, essentially in the prime of our lives, right? We are the strongest and we are the most fit that we're ever going to be. And then there are some people that are perhaps on the other side of that line. The fall affects us all in unique and distinct ways, and that changes over time. We get sick when somebody goes and gets the flu or gets COVID, right? You are, when you are sick, you are suffering the effects of the fall, and you are suffering the effects of the fall to a greater extent while you have the flu than you are when you are healthy. We are all impacted by the fall in various ways and to various degrees. Relationally, right? There are some people whose marriages are this beautiful picture, like we talked about last week, this beautiful picture of the love between Christ and the church. And it's wonderful to see that. And there are some people that that relationship is a source of struggle for them. And it's because of the fall and the way that the fall affects every one of us in different ways. It's true physically, it's true relationally, it's true mentally, right? Because the impacts of the fall on our minds, on our brains, on our hearts will vary from person to person. It's going to look different in every person's life, and it will look different over time. But for some people at certain times in their lives, that brokenness is more evident than at others, and they are not able to do what needs to be done. This is not a new phenomenon, right? You go back to the very beginning. We looked at Eve. You look at Cain and Abel, right? Cain Cain was subject to this, this anger and this jealousy of his brother, and that so distorted his thinking that he committed that first murder. You look at King Saul. He was subject to paranoia and anxiety, so much so that he couldn't follow the simple directions that Samuel gave him, which led to the kingdom being taken away from him. You look at the entire nation of Israel wandering in the desert, right, where God rains food from the sky and causes water to come out of rocks. And every time that you turn around in the book of Exodus, they're, they're wringing their hands in worry and in fear. Well, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? God parted the Red Sea and you walked across on dry land. You don't think that he can provide for you? They had a debilitating anxiety and fear about what was going to come next. See, all of these characters misunderstood how the world worked in such a profound way that they couldn't do what needed to be done. Now today, today we would call this mental illness, mental disorder. These people would have a mental health condition. Uh, The WHO, the World Health Organization, defines a mental health condition as as a disturbance in a person's thinking, feeling, or behavior, or a combination of these, that reflect a problem in mental function. 
That's the fall right there. We all have a problem with our mental function. They cause distress or disability in social, work, or family activities. And one in five people in the course of a year, one in five, there's five people sitting in that row right there, right? One of the five of you in the course of a year is going to suffer from a mental health condition that meets this definition. And one in two, half of all people in the course of their lifetimes will at some point in their lives meet this definition. But we can't talk about it in church, right? You get cancer, goes out on the prayer chain, everybody prays for you, you raise your hands, you give the updates, great. That's physical manifestation of the fall, and we can talk about that all day long. If somebody is suffering from debilitating depression, shh, can't bring that up. Can't talk about that in church. And so these people, these half of the people in this room, suffer in silence, alone, because we feel like we can't talk about this in church. Sometimes that's because we view it as as shameful, or or, or even worse, it's imaginary. It's just all in your head. It's just all made up. Stop it. But the reality is, is that we all, in some way, shape, or form, have disordered thinking. Because it's a manifestation of the fall. We are all subject to these things. In different amounts, at different times in our lives. And so this is just an extreme version of what we all deal with in some way, shape, or form. And to deny that it exists is to deny the reality of the fall. In other cases, people will look at it and say, well, that's just an evidence of a weak faith. That's why you have a mental illness. You just don't have enough faith. But two of the examples that we have in the Bible... um, David and Elijah, they both likely suffered from a severe depression at different points in their lives. A prophet of God, the one who called down fire from heaven to consume the altar. And you say that his faith was too weak? His faith was too small? David, the man after God's own heart, the man who wrote a third of the Psalms, was his faith too weak? Was his faith not enough? But really, but really, it is there. It is wrong patterns of thinking and feeling and behaving that have escalated to the point that they are causing pain and impeding our ability to lead our daily lives. These are all of the echoes of the fall coming together at one time to put us in a bad spot. Now these are This is a result of the fall, but it's caused as a secondary cause or or exacerbated by things like past trauma, right? Because traumatic events, things that happen to you that are very, very painful, can rewire the brain in ways that are incredibly difficult to undo. Have you ever known somebody who was in a car accident and they had a really hard time for weeks or months or years afterwards getting in a car or being on the highway? 
That's trauma. That event, that car accident, has rewired their brains to be incredibly anxious around the idea of riding in a car. What about somebody who was bitten by a dog when they were younger? I'll give them a lifelong fear of dogs sometimes if they were bitten by a dog as a child. It's a traumatic event that has rewired their brain to think in ways that they wouldn't ordinarily think. Uh, it can also be caused or exacerbated by brain chemistry. Right? Our brains are organs. They are physical organs. And as in just in the same way that all the rest of our organs need certain chemicals and certain balances to work properly, our brain needs certain chemicals in certain balances to be able to work right. And if those chemicals get out of balance, it can make it much more difficult for a person to think and to feel and to behave the way that they need to. Because in the end, we are integrated beings. Right? There is no physical side and a, and a spiritual side that are, you know, there's some sort of a wall down the middle of the two of them. But we are spiritual and physical beings, right, where the two are inseparably intertwined. And a physical disorder can cause spiritual disorder. And spiritual disorder can cause physical symptoms. The emotional, the mental, the physical, the spiritual, it's all one being. They're all tied together into one big bundle of dysfunction. That is me. And we all carry with us differing levels of dysfunction. But dysfunction all the same. All stemming originally from someone's ability to feel, to act, and to think rightly about the world. This is the human condition. Wallowing in a mire of darkness, of suffering, of pain, and of death that we have created with our own self-centered, self-justifying, distorted ways of thinking. So we lay here in the mud of our pride and our arrogance, screaming into the void, I am in charge. Screaming at our creator in anger, I hate you. Paul puts it this way. You were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, dead in our sins, dead in our dysfunction, dead in our ability to do what we have been called to do. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our sins and even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, friends, you have been saved. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
We lay, friends, in the muck and the mire of our sinful brokenness, screaming in hatred for our Creator. And how does He respond? But God, being rich in mercy, He responds with mercy. This is one of God's defining characteristics. He is merciful. God's mercy is his goodness towards those who are in trouble. And so by virtue of the fact that we are human beings, by virtue of the fact that we are human beings living in a fallen world, we are in trouble. There is not one of us that is not. And so how did God respond to us in our trouble? He responded to us in mercy. He saw us in our trouble and did what was good for us. And specifically, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life that we should have lived but were unable to. He sent Christ to die that sinner's death that we deserved. And in doing so, he conquered and swallowed up death and sin, rising on the third day in victorious triumph over those things. For those sinful people who have placed their faith and their hope in him, in that life and that death and that resurrection, there was atonement. There was payment for that sin. There was forgiveness. For those who are broken, there is healing. For those who have fallen, he is raising them up. For those who are dead, he has brought them to life. And friends, we look forward. We look forward to that day. When all of that brokenness, when all of those consequences of sin, when all of the twistedness of this world will be healed and set right. And we read about that in Revelation 21, where this loud voice in John's vision says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away. Friends, this victory extends. It extends beyond the grave, even to the final defeat of sin and death itself. And that victory, it says, will include the untwisting. It will include the undistorting of all of the physical ramifications of the fall. All of the spiritual ramifications of the fall. And that includes, friends, the mental and emotional ones as well. Undone, healed, made whole. Depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, bipolar disorders, eating disorders. All of the ways that we have twisted our thinking. All of the ways, all of the things that have clouded our hearts and our minds. Removed and healed. And we will be able to see, to think, and to understand clearly in that day. That's what Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, for we see in a mirror dimly. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then, face to face. Now I know in part, just in small part. But then, I shall know fully, even as I, shall, even as I have been fully known. We will be unencumbered with the fallenness of this world that plagues our every step. Seeing clearly and being seen clearly and loved. Knowing fully and being known fully. 
This is the glorious beauty, friends, of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Not a, per- not a kingdom of the perfect, but a kingdom of those who have been healed. Where the poor are lifted up and the proud are brought low. Where the hurting and the mourning are comforted. And this is the kingdom that as believers, every single one of us has been made ambassadors of. We have been made ministers of the reconciliation. To take that reconciliation that God has given us and to give it to others as well. It says in 2 Corinthians 5 that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, to us, you and I, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, as the church, we are a small outpost where the glorious realities of this kingdom, where the glorious reality of the kingdom of heaven is made real and tangible and present in the middle of the broken and fallen kingdom of this world. And how we deal with those, those one in five, one in two, both within the family of God and those outside of it, who are suffering from mental illness, must reflect the glorious reality of that kingdom. And the first way that it has to reflect that is that there is hope. That must underlie all of our interactions with anybody who is suffering in any way, shape, or form because of the fallenness of this world. There is hope. Hope. Because if God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, then there is nothing that he cannot overcome. There is nothing that can separate us from his love. Not depression, not anxiety, not OCD. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. There is hope for every man, every woman, every child regardless of their situation or their station or their past or their present or their future. There is hope for a glorious future in the kingdom of heaven as an adopted son or daughter of the living God. His love will not leave us broken and twisted in this fallen world, but it will find us healed and restored and whole. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes of this mystery. It says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then... Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. 
Praise God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We have a hope, brothers and sisters, that has been given to us in Jesus Christ, immovable, unshakable, unchangeable, And every interaction that we have with suffering of any kind must be based on and supported by our hope in his return and the healing of all things. There is hope for everyone. And because of that hope that we have in Christ, our interactions with those who are suffering specifically with those who are suffering from mental illness, must be governed by mercy. God was merciful to us, and so our reflection of his love must be merciful towards others. And our mercy towards those in trouble must reflect God's mercy on those in trouble. What was one of the names that Jesus was known by? O come, O come, Emmanuel. God with us. He was not detached. He was not removed. But he came to be with us in his mercy. And as we show, friends, the mercy of God to those who are in trouble, so we must go and be with. We must be present physically, relationally, and emotionally in their lives. Because it's a lot easier for us to be absent when you are encountering people who are dealing with suffering, especially people who are suffering from a mental illness. It is much easier to just cut ties, push them away, because it's messy. The fallen world is messy. And it hurts and it's hard but as God loved us so we must love those who are in need those who are in trouble so we must be present with them as he was present with us and we must be present to bring hope or to bring help to listen and to encourage because we have that hope in Jesus Christ and we have the ability that transcends anything that the medical world can offer. We have the ability to bring the hope of Jesus Christ into the lives of those who are suffering. We might plant that seed. We might be the one who waters it. We might be the one who cultivates it. We might be the one who pulls the weeds out from around that growing gospel plant. And it is true that it is God who gives the growth, but you and I are privileged to be farmers and gardeners in the souls of the people around us, planting and watering and weeding and cultivating so that that gospel hope grows up and bears fruit in that person's life. And lastly, there is a caution. Because if our response... If your response to the brokenness in the world is anything other than mercy, is anything other than compassion, 
and does not yield a burning desire to shape it more like the kingdom of heaven, then you need to reevaluate your heart. Because you are approaching something with a heart of judgment that God approaches with a heart of mercy. He had compassion on us. He showed us mercy when we deserved judgment. And so to those around us, we must show mercy as well. So how do we deal with this sort of disordered thinking in our own lives? So at a basic level, we are a unified creation. If we are not eating right, if we are not sleeping well, if we are not getting the exercise that we need, it makes it very difficult for us to think clearly, to see clearly, to understand all that God has called us to do because we are one united, unified being. And deficiencies and problems in one aspect of our lives can cause problems in others. We must, if we are going to think clearly, believe clearly, and to act rightly, then we must every day be in the Word of God. Because the right way of thinking, the right way of thinking is Jesus' way of thinking. That's our standard. That's our pattern. That's our model. And so the way that we learn to think rightly is to change our way of thinking so that it better reflects Christ's way of thinking. And we learn what that looks like and how to do that by listening to him in his revealed word. This is how, ultimately, our thinking is corrected by submission to the word of God. It says in Psalm 119 that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Then he goes on a couple verses later to say, I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. It is according to the word of God that we are given life. This is the way that God speaks to us. This is the way that he reveals to us his will, his path, his pattern for thinking and for our lives. We read the Bible. We pray. right? Because when we pray, we confess our inability to get it right. And we beg him, we express our desire for him to intercede and to bring the healing of his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. We find support for our own mental health in community. You need to be able to have a group of people that you can go before and say, I'm not okay. I have not been thinking clearly. I am not in a healthy place right now and who will love you and be present with you through the middle of that. You need to have that. That's one of the purposes that we're hoping to accomplish with our community groups. Right? A group of people who have said, I am actively trying to love the people around me better, to learn how to do that better. I'm actively trying to listen and to help and to love. So what better place is there, friends, to be able to sit down and say, I need help. I'm not in a good spot here. The word, prayer, community. There's also a place for us to pursue therapy, counseling, right? Because unlearning wrong thinking and learning right ways to think, that takes time. 
And God has given us good gifts in people who have devoted their lives to learning how to help people do just that and to do so more quickly than they would otherwise. There's a place there for, for medication right? because sometimes the brokenness of this world, the fallenness of this world shows itself in our minds and in our thoughts, but that's caused by and exacerbated by chemical imbalances in, in the brain. And God has given us good gifts that 100 years ago weren't accessible to us. We have the capability to address some of those things today, to bring them back into balance enough for us to pursue the other avenues that he has given us. To be able to learn, to be able to reshape our thinking after the pattern of Jesus Christ. But ultimately, all of these things are incomplete in some fashion. They're temporary, they're insufficient. But if we are doing them well, if we are engaging in them well, then they point us forward to the greater hope that we have in the return of our king and the consummation of his kingdom. Because friends, that's where our hope lies. That is where our hope lies in every aspect. And we are, we have been given the great privilege of being ambassadors, ministers of that kingdom. We are the first fruits of that kingdom to give the world around us just a small glimpse of what it is supposed to be like. Just a small glimpse of the kingdom of heaven. So we are supposed to love, to pursue, and to demonstrate to glorify our king and his kingdom in everything that we say and do. We are supposed to advance the kingdom of heaven and to overcome the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of sin, the kingdom of fallenness, the kingdom of pain, of suffering, of distortion and disorder. And that kingdom, friends, is entirely opposed to King Jesus because he ushers in everything that runs counter to that kingdom. Where there is pain, he brings healing. Where there is suffering, he brings comfort. Where there is distortion and disorder, he brings clarity. And we are privileged, friends, to participate in that work. And everything that we can do to further his kingdom work is participating alongside of him in that work. It's a great privilege for us. And with each step that we take towards that kingdom, with each step that we help and encourage and enable others to take, we are proclaiming our love for our king, the surpassing greatness of his kingdom, and our hope in his soon return. Let's pray together. Father, this is our hope. This is our hope. That on that last day, all of this will be healed. All of this will be set right. And we look forward to that day. God, we groan. We long for that day with such anticipation. Because we see, Father, we feel in our own lives the way that this fallen world is at odds with your kingdom. So Father, we do pray that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, 
Father, we pray that that work would begin in our own hearts, God. That you would help us, that you would be enabling us to see clearly and to walk rightly. That you would be enabling us, Father, to trust in you and lean not on our own understanding. And Father, we know that as we, that as we do that, God, that you will use our lives. And we pray that we would be useful to you in that. That we would be faithful stewards of this gospel hope that you have entrusted us with. And Father, we pray that we would be beacons of hope and of light in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our communities, in every place that we go, Father. We want to leave behind the footprints, the unmistakable footprints of that gospel fire. We pray that that gospel fire would spread through the paths that we walk to the lives of the people around us so that one day, Father, they would praise you as we praise you, that they would join us in eternally singing the praises of Jesus Christ bowed down before his throne, healed, forgiven, renewed and restored mankind as we should be not as we are we pray these things all in the name of our lord and savior jesus christ Amen.